Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. Got kind of a mini-series going on here in Urban Spelunking, talking about bars, picking out some favorites from Bar Month last month on, on Milwaukee. Yeah, I can't wait to see how this mini-series ends. <laughs> That's right. So we had uh, we had Kaz's Mini Bowl, we had At Random, and this week we're going to Brady Street to the Nomad World Pub. It's vintage Brady Street now, isn't it? It's like, it is the Brady Street classic. Yeah, 25 years this year? Yeah. And there was some news about the Nomad building being sold, and a lot of people were thinking that meant the Nomad was closing, but that's not the case. That is not the case. The owner, Mike Eitel, assures us that he did sell the building, but is not closing the Nomad. So Mike Idol opened the Nomad back in 1995, and at this time, Brady Street was going through kind of a, a rough patch. Yeah, and he was a reluctant bar owner. He never intended to own a bar. He had been traveling in Asia, and he came back and was working on his PhD or, or he was working toward his master's, something like that. And he was just doing, like, carpentry work and odd jobs, and he was doing some for uh, a woman named Julie Kohler, who was very active on Brady Street. And she was trying to sort of turn Brady Street around, and so she bought this bar that had been become sort of a problem bar, and she wanted Mike to open it. And, and he was living upstairs, is that right? Uh, later on, he was living upstairs. Okay. Like once he once he took it over, he was living upstairs. But she how said, did they get connected in the first place? Um, I'm not sure how they met, but um, but he was doing work on some of her properties on oh, okay. Brady Street. Yeah, and so she said, "Well, I have this one that I'm going to buy, and I'd like you to." to do something with it. And he said, oh, that's great. I have a ton of connections in Asia. I can open like an import store. She's like, no, it's got to be a bar. Oh, okay. He's like, I don't want to run a bar. I don't know anything about running a bar. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I, you know, I just, I don't want to run a bar. And so. <laughs> Two big qualifications for bar ownership. I got, well, back then, especially, 90s, right? Yeah. right? <laughs> um, so anyway, he went in there and he saw the place and he saw like the old, uh, pressed tin ceiling, which is still in there. And some of the like interesting details of the place and he got kind of hooked and he decided oh maybe i will do something here and so he fixes up the bar and as you were saying though right out front there, this was sort of a problem intersection there was yeah. drug dealing going on there was prostitution going on um and he, there's a picture in the story of him and some friends inside the bar uh after he'd taken it over but before they'd done any work um, and he said that that day when that picture was taken, a guy came in to do a drug deal on the payphone that was by the back door. Even though the place was closed, the door was unlocked. And he must have just been used to going in there and using that phone. Oh, really? Wow. All the time. So the next day, Mike ripped out the phone. So he said, you know, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to make something out of this. And, you know, he fixes up the bar, moves the, tears out the, the bar that was stuck in there later on the on the west side of the building and puts the bar back where it originally had been on the east side, opens the place on St. Patrick's Day, and it's an insane success. He runs out of beer. The f there's so many people in there dancing to the Gillies, which was this local Irish folk band that was playing, that uh, they had to hold literally hold up the back bar so that it wouldn't fall over. Oh, wow. And the next day, he and his brother had to build more supports in the basement for the floor up wow. above because... You know, just just crazy. Like, had no idea it was going to be this kind of success. And from the minute it opened, it was a success. So when the building starts to fall apart, that's how you know you're you're throwing a, <laughs> a lively party exactly. on Brady Street. Well, and so then you know he really wants to. You know, I mean, I think he starts to see the potential in Brady Street, which he says, you know, at the time, for him in Milwaukee was like one of the few places where there was like a diverse mix of people. Um, you know, ethnically, but also economically. And so he really wanted to be a part of making that scene kind of happen. And so he asked the city to put tables out front, which nobody was really doing at that point. He got the first, uh, he was the first one on Brady Street to be able to put the 
tables outside. And that was kind of a contentious thing. Yeah, him, right? yeah. It was it was not easy to do, but he said, kind you know. Kind of sell the idea. Yeah, and he said, you know, we got these people out here selling drugs and all that. You want to get rid of those people, I'll tell you how to do it. Let me put some tables out there, and I'll get a bunch of people sitting around the tables drinking Guinness, staring at these guys, and they'll go away. And that's exactly what happened. We're going to take a quick break here, and our conversation continues next on Urban Spelunking. Nonprofit Radio Milwaukee is brought to you by you. A membership contribution is your personal commitment to music and to Milwaukee. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org to check out our donor benefits and the thank you gifts you can get to show off your 88.9 pride. There's lots of great stories. There are some really good stories. That you uncovered in your research for this story. Some just like classic nefarious yeah, Milwaukee un- Unfortunately, they're all like robbery-related stories, right? You know, or bar fights. And Did anybody like that. die? I don't know if anybody died. I don't think anybody... No, I don't think anybody died. Okay, not, so we can, None of the ones I came across... None of the ones I came across did anybody die. <laughs> that we know of. But okay. yeah, but there are a few people who've run the bar... Like, Mike's got it for 25 years, but there are at least a few other owners that were there, if not that long, pretty close. And one of them was definitely there that long. Uh, but this one guy, Frank Lang, who took over right from James Doyle, this first guy, he took over in 1902 and uh, 1904... He, uh, some guys came in and started a fight at the bar and, uh, a row as they call uh, it. Yes, a row. And one of them struck him over the head with a, with a pool cue. And so he takes out his gun and fires, but it, he misses the guy and happens to hit his own mother who was coming in the back door. <laughs> oh, the man. And as the newspaper said, she received the ball in the arm, but is, <laughs> but is recovering. So she was okay. Oh, hopefully she went on <laughs> to live a happy life. Yeah. So we got, we got mothers getting shot. We got pool cues and wine bottles over the head. Well, and then during prohibition, there was a guy, Frank Latona, who owned it for quite a while that there are stories about, you know, illegal gambling operations going on. Of course. Yeah. Illegal, You'll have that. Uh, yeah, and it was prohibition, so it, which basically made criminals out of all kinds of law-abiding Americans, right? I mean, right. But what's interesting, I had to tell you about this Frank Latona thing because I had a little bit about Frank Latona in the story, but the day before the story was supposed to run, I get a text from Mike Eitel who says he, he has a, a an Airbnb out kind of by Ponga, so it's in Oconomowoc, I think, maybe Heartland. And he, he texts me, he says, you're not going to believe this. I got a family staying at the Airbnb that is related to one of the people that used to own the Nomad. And so he connects me so to these people. how do they people. make that connection? Well, I'll tell you this. The the woman who is his great-great-granddaughter says to me that we're staying at the place and we open the cupboards and it's full of Nomad glasses. And they knew that their grandfather owned the, the bar that is the Nomad. So they knew the name, the Nomad. They're like, why would there be all these Nomad glasses? So they text Mike and say, you know, you guys have all these Nomad glasses in the cupboard. Our great-great-grandfather used to own the Nomad. And Mike's like, I, I own the Nomad. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> and he's like, and there's a guy doing a story about it right now. So he connects is so he connected me. The fact that all this stuff happened at once. Wait, wait, wait. So there was this couple. There was this family staying at the at the Airbnb. They yeah. open the cupboard. They find the Nomad glasses. They say to Mike, "Hey, uh, my grandfather relative used to own the Nomad." Yeah. He's like, "I own the Nomad." Meanwhile, you're working on the story. Yeah, and so he connects me immediately with them because he knows I'm working on the story, and so they send me pictures of the guy and information about wow. about this great great grandfather. So I had a little bit about him in the story, but now I have way more because this happened. So that all just came together in the span of like two days. That was, and the, it was the day the story was written. It was ready to run. Oh, that's crazy! And I had to go back in and 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 add to it because. I had all this stuff now, yeah, which is amazing. Okay, so that that all worked out. That was interesting. Yeah, it seems strange. like there's a lot of stories attached here to the Nomad. Yes. Anything yes. else that you found? So in uh, the late '50s, this guy Sylvester Noldi takes over the bar, and he runs it into the '70s. And actually, his family owned it, I think, until Julie Kohler bought it. 
Um, but so Sylvester's behind the bar one day, and this 27-year-old guy, this Irvin Sisk, comes in. And so he's playing pinball, and he loses at pinball. So he picks up an ashtray and throws it through the pinball machine and storms out. Okay. And then he goes uh, over to another bar on Arlington Place and does the exact same thing. A serial pinball machine smasher. Yeah, so both of the bar owners call the cops about this guy. And the cops show up, and they find Sisk hiding under a car about a block away. Okay. But interestingly, they don't arrest him. Instead, they arrest Sylvester Noldi. Because they what? because they said that he was making illegal payouts for people who won oh. at the pinball because Sisk says that Noldy gave him money for the payoffs, but Noldy denied that. And, and anyway, what happens, though, is that the, the chief of police, as is, was common, and I'm not sure if it's still common, but um, went to the common council and suggested taking away Noldy's license okay. to run a bar, his liquor license. But the common council, in hearing the story, they just, they got irate. Like these different, this uh, one alderman said, you mean this man was convicted in the district court on the testimony of the man who threw the ashtray? (laughs) (laughs) And then another one says, I don't understand why the ashtray throwing guy wasn't prosecuted. Yeah, these are good questions to ask. Right, and then another alderman says, this is an unusual case. A man who tries to cooperate with the police department calls them and instead gets slapped with a fine. So they were like, this is ridiculous. So they let him keep his license. And he stayed there until he ran the bar into the late 70s. He was there a long time. So Mike Idol's still very much running the bar. It's coming up on its 25th anniversary, and he says that there's some plans in the work for something special. Meanwhile, there's been an expansion. There's a nomad in uh, Madison, Mm -hmm. and he mentioned there might be nomads in other places around the world. Yeah, well, he and he named some cities. I don't know how seriously he's looking at, I mean, we didn't go into specifics about it, but he mentioned Chicago, Atlanta, Detroit, and Toronto as places he's interested in. And then, you know, a long time ago when he opened The Nomad, he thought about using it as a way to, like, connect with these places in Asia that he really loved, you know, and like Thailand and Nepal and places like that. He told me that those would be his jalopy, if he opens those, those would be his jalopy-style version of The Nomad. Um, (laughs) Just sort of beachy, crappy nomad vibes. He said in authentic places. He he told me uh, that he'd like to die on a beach. That's his goal. Uh, yeah. So I think uh, he wants he wants to be able to do the New Year's Day polar plunge and have it be, the water be eighty degrees. I love that. And yeah. you know, not enough not enough people are using the word jalopy. I feel like I think so. Uh, right? You got to bring that back. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, podcasts in eighty eight nine are produced by Kenny Perez. Handcrafted sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab with support from your membership and from On Milwaukee. You can subscribe to Urban Spelunking, Tapped In, This Bites, and Cinnabuds, all of 889's podcasts on this page at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcasts on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. It's On Milwaukee's Bobby Tenzillo. Thanks. Thank you.